No, I didn't. I thought I did. Maybe I'm already asleep. Uh, no, I've been, uh, three or four months ago, I, I guess it was, I had a period of time for maybe two weeks when I didn't want to do anything but sit in a chair. That's all, uh, that was as far as my ambitions went. <laughs> I think of things that needed done, and sitting in that chair was more important. Uh, no energy, no motivation, and got over it. But it's been a little bit that way off and on. In these last, I guess, ten days, I've been kind of in the same position. Just no energy, no motivation. Don't want to do anything but sit in a chair or lay in a bed. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'm just getting old or something. Uh, but then I found out yesterday that several of you are suffering with the same difficulty. It, uh, having difficulty being motivated, wanting to do things, kind of go from chair to chair to chair to couch a little bit. And I, I'm beginning to wonder uh, what it is. It's not just me. It's uh, Several of us are having difficulties similar to that. I don't know varying degrees of it, I suppose. Uh feel better today. I got anointed yesterday and and I'm feeling better, so I hope it's going away. It reminded me of what they call sleeping sickness back when I was a teenager, I guess, somewhere along there. Uh, people just wanted to sleep, and I don't remember all the symptoms of it, but sleeping sickness gives you an idea. Uh, some of you may have known about that or experienced it or whatever, uh, but it could have been, could be fairly serious, but I've got no symptoms. I don't don't hurt, don't feel bad, uh, I just haven't been motivated. And I thought, well, maybe it's depression, but I've never been one to be depressed. I, you know, I have, as a personality, maybe I'll have an hour or two or three every six or eight or ten months or sometime, whenever, when I get uh, feeling a little sorry for myself and, you know, uh, want to sit in the corner and eat worms for an hour or two or three and that's pretty well the extent of my depression throughout life. Uh, I know people fight depression a lot and go through days, weeks, and months of it, years of it. Uh, so I don't know what to make of this, really. Uh, but after talking to some of you yesterday and seeing some are having some of the similar uh, situation, I said, uh, look into it. Everyone, let's see what this is. If there's something that can be done to uh, resolve it, because it's not just me, it's several of us. So it's, is it a bug, a virus, or something, but there's no symptoms other than just going to sleep. So it's, it's kind of odd. Uh, maybe the rest of you have something, and I am just getting old, whatever. Uh, anyway, today is the first day of the third month of God's year. We're, since we're having Sabbath service here, we won't have a uh, Bible study. And also, it is the sixth Sabbath in the Pentecost count. We've got one more week, one more Sabbath, and the next day is Pentecost in a count to 50. Truly looking forward to that. Uh, with great anticipation, 
it's fun to count it, and then you know it's it's there. It doesn't slip up on you. Uh, I think most of you know uh, Gloria went up to Oregon, or oh, what, seven, eight, ten days ago, whenever it was, to visit relatives and so on. She uh, needed to see her daughter and some sons and sister and cousins and whatever. But uh, there had been some difficulties her daughter was having, uh, Adrian, and Adrian has had a very troubled life, I guess I could say. She's had uh, physical maladies and uh, sicknesses and so on, as well as, along with that, a lot of depression, a lot of frustration, and she's spent a lot of her life on alcohol or drugs or something to try to find peace and not finding much. So it's been a, a hard life for her, put it that way. And I think God directed when Gloria made this trip, she put it off a couple of times, I'm going to go to Oregon, I'm going to go to Oregon, and then she didn't go, and finally did. But uh, she told Adrian she was coming up there, and just before she left on the trip, uh, about four days before, she quit hearing from Adrian, and didn't hear anything, kept texting or trying to call, and uh, nothing. So she was kind of concerned by the time she started north to uh, to see her there in Oregon. And when she got there, Adrian was kind of waking up, kind of coming to, because she'd been out for four days. And they had a chance to visit some and even walk around the property and and so on. So we got a little visiting done, and then Gloria went on north to see other relatives and was going to stop back by on her way back this way. Well, meantime, uh, Adrian had before this uh, ordered some pills from China that were supposed to help with, as a painkiller and general well-being, I suppose. I don't know how they were advertised. But she had been on those those four days before Gloria got there. And then she kind of woke up, and then when Gloria was on further north, she took another one or two, whatever. And uh, yesterday morning, she died. Uh, her bo boyfriend was just going berserk. He's, he's just out of his mind with, with rage and anger and angry at the Chinese and angry at God and angry at any, any and everything, everybody, basically, because he, he cared a lot for her. At any rate, uh, they, find, they found the pills that she had ordered, and it doesn't appear to be an overdose of any kind. She just was taking them to find peace and, and uh, so on as she had with other stuff in the past. But uh, upon examining the powder, I found out that there was fentanyl in it, which is very, very dangerous. kills you pretty quick. And uh, that second round of it just got her. 
Well, it's, it's a sad situation. But Gloria had prayed just recently that God give her peace. And peace is something that she'd never had <laughs> uh, from childhood up onward in many, many different ways and circumstances which aren't our business. But uh, it was that kind of a life. But now she has peace. No more hurt, no more pain, no more depression, no more difficulties that she suffered with. I know her boyfriend is having trouble understanding that. Uh, he, he knows nothing about truth, nothing about God, really. Uh, Adrian grew up around and somewhat in the church, but she was never converted. I, I see no evidence of that ever. Uh, and I think she's a prime candidate for the second resurrection where she'll have hope and promise and her physical difficulties will be gone and have a great chance at being a part of the kingdom of God when the whole thing is written out. So from that standpoint, uh, maybe it's a blessing, also considering that we're about to go into World War III and the end-time events and the Holocaust, and she may have been in the middle of that. So she gets to miss that, at least. She's had enough Holocaust in her life, I think, not to need to go through that. So I think the way is there that God will ultimately save her, just as he will so many others. And, you know... We are so privileged, brethren, so absolutely privileged to understand the three resurrections. The rest of the world doesn't get it. All they have is a heaven-hell mentality, and they don't understand what God is doing at all, and that he is a success as a father, and ultimately most human beings are going to be in the kingdom of God. Even though if you looked at the planet today, you wouldn't think anyway. <laughs> uh, he has a plan whereby we're going through this boot camp down here right now and suffering all kinds of difficulties. The whole world is. <clears throat> but those will be removed in physical death. And then when he brings them back to physical life there in Revelation 20, right after the thousand years of peace, they will have their opportunity. And I know I'm going over something that we understand, but just to remind us that hardly anyone understands that doctrine. Uh, I've studied a lot of religions back in, we had comparative theology in college and went through the various religions and their basic beliefs, and no one understood that. <laughs> really, they still don't. So, it's a very difficult time up there, and I plan on heading up north and, and uh, doing what I can to calm and help and encourage, uh, and won't be up there too long, we'll get things taken care of, and then I'll be, obviously got to be back for Pentecost, and probably some days before, but I feel it's kind of a thing I need to do. Uh, you haven't been around through the earlier years, but that's just the way I do things. If somebody 
calls and says, will you come perform uh, a funeral for my brother? I had one of those in Arkansas. Okay, I'm coming. I'll be there. Or Michigan. I've been a lot of different places uh, because people had a death or a sorrowful situation and I felt it was worth it to drive those distances in order to comfort and to help as much as possible. Uh, so that's just the way I operate and uh, have in the past and will now and will in the future if things come up here, there, or somewhere. Uh, I even drove to Houston once to be sure some people got married. Uh, and that's a long way from here, but it was worth it and I was glad to be there. So. We try to help wherever we can. We're a small work, and we're and this is a big nation, but still in all, people have their needs, and it doesn't matter where they are. Uh, we can reach them with our prayers, or we can reach them with our wheels, in some cases, depending on the circumstance. So, I plan to do that here as well. Okay, we've been going through some information about uh, the deliverance and the uh, restoral of things here at the end. And they have to be as dramatic as the Red Sea, as the Jordan, uh, and through Isaiah and some of the other scriptures, those episodes are mentioned in connection with what is about to happen. Now, I heard a report this morning, a red one, that the town of uh, Bakhmut, or however you say it, in Ukraine, completely fell to the Russians overnight, or by this morning. They were in total control, and all of the uh, soldiers from the Ukraine were gone. Now, that particular city... Uh, railroads and major highways go through uh, that supply the Ukrainian forces. Uh, that was the main supply route to get munitions there, to get uh, ammunition and, and all kinds of war material from the NATO and U.S. to get to the Ukrainian soldiers. So with that city shut off, that is a major victory for Russia. And NATO and the United States have got egg on their face, if you will, uh, because what we have been able to put over there uh, has failed for the most part. If you read the media headlines in this country, it's always talking about how Ukraine is winning. Uh, but that's not what's really going on, and our media is lying to us as usual about what's going on in the world. The Bilderbergers are meeting right now in Portugal through the weekend, and no telling what will come out of their meeting because they are dead set on destroying the United States. So I'm going to refer here before I get into this back to Jeremiah 50 because I think this is very close to coming to pass. Uh, I've come back here really many times because it talks in chapter 49, verse 39, the last verse of the chapter, it shall come to pass in the latter days 
that I will turn again the captivity of Elam, says the Eternal. So, Jeremiah is writing of the latter days. He's not specifically talking about uh, Israel here. He mentions quite a few different countries uh, as he goes through chapter 49. But we find in chapter 50 that the word of the Eternal spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, if we've read Revelation 18 and Isaiah 47, 48, and several other passages, we are aware, and I gave a long series on it some years ago, that America is the modern-day Babylon. Now, that's something that you and I are not the only ones that recognize. There are quite a few people who've made that connection. Uh, and just analyzing who is the leader, has been the leader of the world, and the things that it talks about, the only nation that could fulfill them, fulfill them is this one. Like it says right here in one of these chapters, uh, the hammer of the whole earth. Uh, who fits that? Brazil? <laughs> no. Uh, the only nation that fits that terminology at all is this nation. And we've hammered here and hammered there. That's in uh, chapter 50, verse 22. And it says, How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become a desolation among the nations? So, you go through a lot of different scriptures, and it just piles more and more and more on top of that scripture. In fact, several in these two, these two chapters to show that we have become Babylon. Now, I understand that Babylon is confusion. That's what the word means. And it is Satan's system. And it pervades the whole earth. So when, we, when you say America represents Babylon, we are the leader of, the one who directs the Babylonian system of Satan. And at the same time, we're Israel. But we're represented by Babylonians and have been since the very beginning when deists, not actual atheists but close, who thinks that God just doesn't bother with mankind. That was George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Edison, not Thomas Edison, Thomas Jefferson, uh, some of those guys who formed our government and set up Washington, D.C. in Rome and Babylonian uh, configuration. So they intended to rule it as Rome and Babylon from the very beginning. They were not Christians. Uh, most Americans thought they were. And most Americans today, I guess, would be glad they weren't. Because we're fighting Christians now almost tooth and nail. But here it says that Babylon is going to be taken, and it'll be a very fast victory when it occurs. Revelation 18 says in a day, uh, in an hour, very short period of time prophetically. It doesn't mean 60 minutes or 24 hours, but a very, very short period of time. For out of the north, verse 3, there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein, 
They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. It's going to be utter destruction. Ezekiel showed us, as we've said many times, chapter 5, a third will die of famine and pestilence, a third by the sword, a third be taken captive, and the sword will follow them. And that's God's punishment on Israel, but also on Israel as the Queen of Babylon. Now, says from the north here, the King of the North is the Assyrian, and at this point, I have no doubt that's probably Putin, unless he gets killed and, and replaced by someone here pretty quickly. Uh, and he is the kind of man that Isaiah describes back in about 9 or 10, where it says that it is in his heart to, to cut off nations, not a few, but he doesn't know it. And I think that describes Putin pretty well. He, he thinks he's a good, God-fearing man. He thinks the things he does are for God's purposes, uh, more or less. And he doesn't realize it's in his heart to cut off nations, not a few. But it is, and it will happen if he's that man. Now, I have no doubt that the king of the north is Russia. Uh, but who will be leading it when it happens, who knows? apparently Putin, because it seems to be coming very rapidly, uh, or coming very rapidly. What happens after Bakhmut falls, and maybe Odessa, another city or two in Ukraine, and they don't have supplies, they don't have ammo, uh, it isn't very long until Russia just simply takes over, and the United States and NATO are beaten. Now, once we're beaten, it won't be long until we see ourselves invaded. But these two chapters show that there'll be uh, civil war. He tells God's people in verse 6 of chapter 51, Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. That's talking basically to the church. Verse 10, The Lord has brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the eternal, our God. So he says to flee and to go in Zion and declare the word of God. Verse 41 of chapter 50 says, Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. They'll fight with them. So there's going to be a coalition against America, led by the king of the north, and that probably will include China, maybe Iran if it survives, and many other nations who will join with them, and are currently joining with them in economic pacts and military alliances. That's happening right now. So he tells his people to flee to Zion just ahead of this happening. And it says it back here. Uh, in those days, verse 4 in chapter 15, And in that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah uh, together, going and weeping, 
to seek the eternal their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed that direction, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to stray. They've gone from mountain to hill, from bigger to smaller. And that's what's happened in the church in these last 37 years. And those that have found them have devoured them. And there again, he says in verse 8, Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flock. For I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. So there's your alliance. And he says that our leaders will sell us out. Uh, verse 17 here, it says, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven away. First the king of Assyria has devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has broken his bones. Now this was a former fulfillment. We're looking at the last. And Babylon is the one that's destroyed by Assyria. But it has help from within. And we have in great part destroyed ourselves. You're not even... You don't have two brain cells if you haven't figured out by now <clears throat> or you have extreme bias that we are destroying ourselves from within. Our leaders are communist. They are trying to have communism throughout the country and they've been working at it through the schools and through the churches and through business and through government for decades now. And they've got us pretty well switched over. And we're working really fast toward civil war with all of this transgender nonsense that's going on. And it's leading to violence. It's only going to get worse and worse. Sound a battle in the land. Uh, suddenly fallen and destroyed, verse 8 of 51. Where does it say? Right down here somewhere. I'll punish Baal in Babylon. I'm looking for the spot where it says that uh, our leaders sell us out. Verse 46, Unless your heart faint and you hear fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land, a rumor shall both come one year, and after that in another year shall come a rumor, and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. And we're watching right now as Republicans and Democrats square off against each other, and they're talking about violence now, about killing each other, literally. Uh, I'm amazed at some of the quotes that come through where somebody said something like that. Uh, my eyes not falling on where it says our leader will give his hand, make a deal, and sell us out. That's what's happening on the Mexican border right now. We're being sold out and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming across that border. Not all Mexicans by any means. They are <coughs> Chinese. They are Russian. They are from all over the world coming across our border. Trained fighters. Most of them are young males. So we have been sold out and nobody's going to do a thing about it. <coughs> so as we come 
up to Pentecost, I wanted to review that we're in the situation, and it is growing more tenuous every day, where it is not long until we will be uh, invaded. I kind of expect to see violence in the land, ruler against ruler, and that means people against people as well, uh, before we're invaded, because it's all talking about the same thing altogether here. That you flee just ahead of the northern army to Zion, and you make it, but there is civil war, and there is invasion, and all these things going on. Why would they attack us until we're weak? They're waiting until we're quite weak. And we used up a lot of our military power in Afghanistan, Iraq, different places. And now we've shipped most of what we had left to Ukraine. And we don't have anything left to fight with much. Not only that, but our fighter and bomber parts are made in China. <laughs> and who's going to ship them to us? It, we've, we've gotten ourselves in such a stupid mess it's almost unbelievable. And you read stuff all the time about it, and it's, it's almost upon us. What will the U.S. and NATO do if Russia pretty quickly now uh, just simply defeats the Ukraine and all of the stuff we've said over there, and in that sense defeats us? Uh, they haven't come in and taken us over yet, but it isn't far behind. I hate to have to tell you that, but you already know that. You've read it in the Scriptures over and over and over. But let's get on the positive side of, of uh, deliverance and uh, renewal or restoration. After that sweet lesson in Jeremiah 50 and 51, I didn't read it all, of course, We've been through it before, and probably we'll go through it again. <clears throat> but let's go back to Isaiah 40 and get an overview here of some of the things God says He's going to do. As we know, Isaiah 39 wraps up Herbert Armstrong's uh, work, and his sons have become uh, eunuchs in Babylon. They are able, unable to do anything, to generate anything. It's just sitting there. But he starts a new and different work. Now, Isaiah 40 has been referred to as John the Baptist, and certainly he was a fulfillment in part of this. If you go all the way through it, he wasn't by any means uh, the final word, because many of the things that happened between Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 66 are things that simply did not occur in John the Baptist's lifetime. But he was there as a forerunner to Christ. He was out in the wilderness teaching uh, whoever would listen, doing some baptizing, and being Christ's cousin. They knew each other very, very well. And Christ had, I'm sure, taught John the Baptist a great deal so he was out there doing what Isaiah 40 says, preparing the way for Jesus to start his ministry. And he starts that off by saying, Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. So the Holy Spirit 
and Christ himself are what comfort. And he was going to be showing up shortly after John the Baptist was started preaching this and bring the New Covenant, the New Testament church, and to begin to restore peace and comfort so the people would know their God and would be able to look forward to salvation, not just to some Jewish millennium. <coughs> of course, they would not accept Christ. <coughs> So he says, speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received the eternal hand double for all her sins. Now we bring this forward to the end time because Christ did say, and I won't go back to all this in Luke and Matthew, that he would send a John the Baptist at the end of the age to do the same thing, basically, that the original John the Baptist did, and then it would carry over into bigger things. By the time you get to the end of Isaiah, they've done a lot of things that just simply didn't happen in Christ's first appearance here on the earth as the Christ that didn't happen. It wasn't all fulfilled by any means. Just barely got into it, really. And then Christ was cut off, and the early New Testament church only lasted about 70 years, and it disappeared for the most part, just little pieces and parts here and there, until 1900, uh, 1927, really, 1926. It was silent. But here, he says, the warfare is accomplished, and God's and gives double for all her sins. I think that means she sinned, the church sinned, we sinned. We've been jetsome and flotsam uh, ever since. And he is going to double the reward above the sin. He is going to bring peace and comfort. And he is going to be really ready to bless instead of to curse. Now, if you understand God's character throughout the Bible, He loves to bless. He loves to give good gifts. Every good and uh, faithful gift comes from God in heaven, not down here. So, He says it's His good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. So overall, if you just jump through these scriptures, like I just mentioned, and many, many more, you'll see that God is love, and that He wants to express love. Sometimes He has to express love with a paddling, <laughs> and sometimes it's pretty severe. But He has to prepare us so that we can receive blessing. Human beings have a terrible time receiving blessings. Uh, we get blessed, and we begin to forget God. We begin to think our own things, and, oh, I'm being blessed, everything's fine, and then we kind of begin to forget God, not pray as much, not pray as well, and then we begin with various sins, and then we need to be paddled again. But that's human nature. It's the way it is. But he's talking here about the time when the cursing is coming to an end, and he wants a message of comfort given to his people. 
And I think that's right now. Because he talks about the cursing and everything in Isaiah, and he also talks even more about the blessings that will come in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah is a very pivotal book for the end time. We won't have warfare anymore. We'll have peace and comfort. Then he says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked made straight, And the rough places plain. So he's talking about governments here, Who are mountains in Bible terminology, And hills, which are smaller governments, and they're going to be changed. The valleys there where there's been no real government uh, will be exalted, and the mountains and the hills will be made low. And some of this may also very well be physical uh, with geography. And the glory of the eternal shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now we're going to see very shortly that this is in the latter days. This isn't the millennium. Now, ultimately, the final fulfillment is, but the fulfillment ahead of it is when God begins to bless His remnant church. And a voice in the wilderness is where that's going to be. You remember Micah 4, which is what led, really, us here, where he tells us to flee the city, get out of the cities, Go to the wilderness, and there you shall be delivered. There's your word, delivered. Uh, go even to Babylon, it says. Some people have read other scriptures which say to flee from Babylon, and they go to the Philippines, or Chile, or Peru, or Panama, or wherever they decide will be safe. And they overlook that one verse that says, go even to Babylon. So it's a wilderness within the United States that God directs his remnant people to go to. And it's when our nation is being invaded that it says, flee before the northern army to Zion. And they go looking for Zion. So the true Zion is here. I I won't go over that again here. We've been over it many, many times. But there are people who are going to find out that. And God is going to be revealed. And He's going to be revealed in such a way the world cannot deny. They can reject, but they cannot deny. The voice said, cry, and He said, what shall I cry? Well, the message is that all flesh is grass, and the godliness thereof is the flower of the field. It withers, and God blows on it, and he says the people is grass. And it withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And then he says to bring good tidings into the high mountain of Jerusalem, that bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Now there's a phrase we need to keep in mind. Behold your God. Isn't that what Moses told Israel when they were still in the land of Mitzrayim? God is going to save you. Well, well, which God? The God of the 
river? No, the Lord God, God Almighty, is going to save you. And here we see that kind of language being used, speaking of this latter day, when God is going to deliver, to deliver His remnant people. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. So He's going to come and bless the church, and His work is before Him to let the world know who God is, and to let them know that they had better repent or they're all going to die. Which is what they're going to do, because he shows us in many scriptures they will not repent. And he'll feed his flock like a shepherd. Now, he does tell us, so we understand, in Zechariah 2, that he is going to come and dwell with us in the whole context of Zechariah uh, 1 through 4, 1 through 6, really, uh, in Haggai, is the two witnesses and the remnant church. And he says he's going to come and dwell with them during the time when the gospel is being preached around the world for a witness for three and a half years. He will be dwelling with his people. So when it says he comes, he really is coming, and his work is before him, and he's going to use human instruments to do a lot of it. But the miraculous stuff, he is going to do himself like he did in Mitzrayim with the Red Sea and water out of rocks and quail and manna and all those things that he's going to do again. I don't think it's going to be manna and quail this time. We see some things in Isaiah which indicate it'll be something different. He says much cattle there in Zechariah 2 as well. Many men and much cattle. So beef is on the menu. Uh, I like that idea. I, I want to be there. Then he says in 15, uh, verse 15, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. And all nations, verse 17, are nothing before him. He goes on and, and explains that. Uh, and some will say, even in Jacob, verse 27, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. So, people are going to try to deny God. They always have, and they always will. That's our nature. Verse 31, though, says, But they that wait upon the Eternal, in contrast to those who try to hide from Him, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not be faint. So here he's talking then about the restoration. Uh, we're delivered from Babylon. We're protected by a wall of fire, uh, Zechariah 2 again, and a canopy over to protect from weather and chemtrails and whatever else. There in Isaiah 4. He's going to make artificial protection with its own climate. We'll read that in a little bit here. But they'll mount up with wings as eagles. Now, Isaiah 35 goes into how the lame will walk, the blind will see, and the deaf will hear, and so on. And he'll give them the deer legs. will be able to run, jump, <laughs> 
they'll mount up with wings as eagles. Uh, an eagle flies very strongly. And it's, it's almost like flying compared to what we're doing right now. It's almost like flying. We're gimpy and can barely get around, barely hear, barely see, and uh, get along with each other. And that's all going to change. They'll not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Won't be tired all the time as I've been lately. <laughs> or some of you as well. Let the people renew their strength. So that's renewal, that's restoration, that's restitution. It's what uh, is talked about in Acts 2 and Joel 2 and fits the last day of unleavened bread perfectly. Renewed, restored. They renew their strength, verse 1 of 41. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. And then he talks about someone who comes from the east who is going to be the physical leader. And he reminds us that we are Israel in verse 8. He tells us in 10, Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Is that not what he did when he brought them out of Egypt. Same story, just repeated at the end time. All those that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. They'll be as nothing. And they that strive with you shall perish. So the same thing in Zechariah 11 about Anathoth. <coughs> those that strive with us and rebel and <coughs> steal land are going to die. Verse 13, For I, the eternal your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. You worm Jacob, and you men of Israel, I will help you, says your Redeemer. Not only that, it's going to give us power. Uh, verse 15, I'll make a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. And you shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills a chaff. Now, the most dramatic way is through the two witnesses bringing the plagues of Egypt on the whole world. Not just on Egypt, but the whole world. And beat them into pieces with the plagues. There is one over in Micah 4 and 5 I want to turn to and review for a moment here. <clears throat> because here is where he says we'll have first dominion. It's in the last days, chapter 4, verse 1. He says in verse 10, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, uh, for you shall go forth out of the city and dwell in the field or the wilderness, and you shall go even to Babylon. There shall you be delivered. So deliverance again is used. There the Eternal shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And many nations are gathered against you. But he says in verse 13, I'll make you uh, a sharp threshing instrument and beat people. Arise and thresh. I'll make your horn iron. I'll make your hooves brass. And you'll beat in pieces many people. You go to chapter 5 and he talks about the Assyrian, the king of the north, coming against us. Uh, 
uh, let's see, this man, speaking of the leader from the east that he's, speak, that he's sending, verse 5, And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise up against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. So he's going to give power to seven, eight men to be able to defeat the northern army and to send them packing, as it says. I won't go into all the detail, but if this isn't the only place it mentions it. Uh, just as he's killed 145,000 Assyrians overnight once in the past, that army with all their tanks and planes and robots and everything they have will be coming against Zion because Satan knows there's where God's people are. So he'll come, and that's who he wants to defeat worse than anybody, is the people of God. He knows they're going to be in the kingdom and be God, as God is God, like Satan wanted to be and couldn't be. So he has a chip on his shoulder, and he has a great deal of anger against anyone who is a follower of the Father and the Son. That's all there is to it. But the church will be given power over him, just like in Gideon's day, just like uh, the 145,000 that died, and on and on. We can go to different stories in the Old Testament that show this kind of power. And he's talking about the end-time church here. We've already started this process by coming out to the wilderness, and more are going to come. Well, this is on the same level as those major miracles of the past. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to pick this up again? Chapter 43 says, Fear not. Uh, verse 5, Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east, southeast, north, and west. And he's called, and they will come. Verse 10, he says, You are my witnesses, says the Eternal, and my servant may know and believe me and understand that I am He. So, not just the two who do the formal preaching, but the whole remnant group that comes and is gathered together are God's witnesses that He is God. So, people want to be the two witnesses. Well, how about being one of the few thousand witnesses? Wouldn't that be nice? Out of eight, nine billion... There's just a few who are his witnesses. Verse 12. Uh, you are my witnesses, says the Eternal, that I am God. His whole purpose here at the end is to show the world that he is God. And he is going to have a few thousand people, his remnant, his tithe of the ones he called into the church, mostly them, they are his witnesses that he is God. They'll be living in Zion. They'll be able to be pointed to by the two witnesses as they preach around the world that those are people who obey God 
And they are blessed. They have a canopy you can't penetrate. They have a wall of fire around them you can't get through. They're protected. <clears throat> we'll see in a little bit that it will be like Eden. Just like the Garden of Eden. Now, he's not done that since Eden, has he? Nowhere. Uh, I mean, even here we got foxtails and tumbleweeds and goat heads and other things that vex us, sorely vex us. But that's going to be removed, and we are going to be in the Garden of Eden, right in this area. <clears throat> you can't get anybody hardly to believe this is the area, but God did that on purpose. And I think he caused the Bible writers to do it on purpose as well, because I do think that Paul probably did travel to those areas around the Mediterranean. But that Jerusalem over there was founded by the Arabs, and they're very proud of it and brag about it. And there is no evidence that Israel was in that area before 1600 B.C. Uh, that's why they can't find uh, Solomon's temple or the things that the Bible talks about, is because they were over here. And when Israel sinned so badly... She was taken captive by ship, as it says in Deuteronomy 28:62, to North Africa, the Middle East, and around the Mediterranean. And that's where Israel was taken captive. So even though Jerusalem was destroyed here, and God said that it would remain destroyed and no one lived there for generations, many generations, it says, in what, four or five different places we've read. So... Yes, Israel was in the Middle East and later on migrated into Western Europe and finally back over here when this country was settled in the 1600s. So, yes, that history is there, but God caused the Bible to be written in such a way that none of the authors says, well, now there are two Jerusalems. <coughs> one in the original promised land and the other one over here where the Arabs uh, had you captive, as well as other peoples, by ship. We were shipped clear over there, and were there for many generations. Thousands, well, let's see, I don't know, I figured it up. Uh, close to 2,500 years before we came back over here. So, yes, there was an Israelite presence there, but they can't find the things that were prior to about 1600 in the Middle East. They found things that Israelites did later, but not in the beginning. So, a lot of the history is over there. So, I don't see a contradiction between what Paul may have done there, what others may have done there, when he went over to preach to uh, the scattered Israelites. Remember how James started his book? about Israelites who were scattered. He wrote to the scattered tribes. So he was probably in Jerusalem here and wrote a letter that was sent over there and was distributed to all the tribes of Israel around the Mediterranean. And there was communication and sailing back and forth constantly in those years. I did a little study on that some years ago uh, about 
travel by ship in the Old Testament. And there was a lot of it in here. I was surprised how much there was about Solomon ships going around the world and on and on and on it went. Uh, verse 18 of 43. Remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Why? Now we've been considering, and it does throughout the Bible consider, coming out of Egypt or Mitzrayim. And those were big, huge events. But he's telling us here now, forget about those things. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a, will, a way in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts. The beasts of the field shall honor me and the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. He didn't even do that with ancient Israel. He gave them water <clears throat> out of the rock occasionally, but here he's going to make rivers in the desert. Create them, a new thing that shall spring forth. And it's going to be in such a way that is so dramatic and so powerful that it would cause you to forget the things that had been done in the past because this is so much greater. He goes on and on with that theme through here. He again says in chapter 44, verse 8, Fear you not, <clears throat> neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time, and have declared it, you are even my witnesses. <clears throat> is there a God beside me? There is no God, I know not any. <clears throat> now, if you are a believer in God, and you know the true God, this is talking about you. Here at the end. If we're following him, we are his witnesses. Now, he's going to lead us into a really very dramatic thing. Another thing that's going to happen here. Yep, in verse 21 of 44, uh, he says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. <clears throat> you are my servant, O Israel. Therefore, you shall not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions and as a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, lower parts of the earth. Sing aloud. <clears throat> Verse 24, Thus says the Eternal, your Redeemer, and that he that reformed you from the womb. Now, he's leading up to something here that's going to happen shortly after he begins to... He forgives our sin in one day and blots them out and begins then to bless the remnant church. So, if you read on down from here, you see what he's building up to. That he's going to frustrate the liars and make diviners mad. He's going to drive them crazy with the things that he's doing, in other words. The smart people of this earth won't be able to understand it at all. Verse 26, that confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers that says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. 
and we know it hasn't been inhabited for many generations. I've worked on the hill of Jerusalem in southern Utah, and there is not one person who lives there. There's a scripture that says it'll be for the <coughs> jackals and, and uh, rabbits, I think. That's what I've seen there is coyotes and rabbits. And that's about it. No people live there. God said it would be that, that way. But it shall be inhabited. The Jerusalem in the Middle East is inhabited, always has been, since the Arabs built it. It's been defeated a few times, but people were never shipped out of there. There are always people left behind. So the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. So the cities, not just Jerusalem, are decayed as well. Now, that says to the deep, be dry. I am the God who says to the deep, be dry. Well, he did that, didn't he, with the Red Sea? And I will dry up your rivers. There's Jordan. So he's saying, I'm the same guy that did this, and I'm going to do some other things that are going to be just as astounding. That said of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. And the man that I believe is this latter-day Cyrus, he's not in the church. You'll see in chapter 45, he's not in the church. He's like the Gentile king Cyrus, who had Ezra and Nehemiah, <coughs> Zerubbabel and Joshua, go back and build the temple and the wall of Jerusalem in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. That was Cyrus, king of uh, Persia, that did that. And this man is equated that way because he's going to do the same thing. And I heard him in his office in what he called the White House out past uh, Cedar City say that the temple will be built right here in Iron County. And I nearly fell off my chair when he said that because I was remembering this verse. So there's somebody who's going to do it. Daniel 11 shows, Daniel 11, 9 I guess it is, that Jerusalem will be built back in 70 weeks. It's going to be a fast job. And the temple will be built as well. <clears throat> a little over a year and a half. All right, let's get on into the astounding thing here. Thus says the Eternal to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand he's held, to subdue nations before him. To subdue nations. They will be powerless before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two lead gates, and the gates shall not be shut. So, when the gates to the treasures of God, as we'll see shortly, are opened, they can't be shut, and it will loosen the loins of kings. What that means is, they lose their bowel control. Uh, there was one of the kings back here somewhere when we were studying this a lot, who came to be known as Brombridges. That was his nickname. Uh, in in the uh, language of the day, because he had gotten that scared. And he says, this is going to happen again. 
I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in thunder the bars of iron. All of the things that would prevent you from finding the treasures of God, he's going to take care of. He'll show you how to get there. And I believe, I know the man, and I believe that God is doing that. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. This isn't doctrine now. This is real treasure. Haggai says, the gold and the silver is mine, says the Eternal. The Mormons have been looking for this, this treasure ever since they came out here. Joseph Smith, I believe, was told by some of the Jesuit priests that the treasure was out here. And the Germans had been here during World War II looking for the same thing. So was Indiana Jones, Vindel Jones. He left the Middle East for a while and came here looking for these things. That's what James Wesley Powell was looking for, was this treasure. A lot of people know, they have enough records to know it's in the desert southwest, and they know pretty close to where. And that, I think, is what, when we had that uh, documentary recently by the, not National Geographic, I can't remember who it was, they're snooping around trying to find it too. Just as so many people around Canal Bar because they think it's near there and have for the last hundred years. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Eternal, which call you by your name and the God of Israel. He's going to make it known. and He's going to make it to this man that's called the Silas. For Jacob, my servant's sake. So it's for the church's sake, not for Cyrus's sake. Cyrus gave them the treasures of the temple originally to go to the true Jerusalem and build back the temple in Jerusalem. And Israel, mine elect, I have even called you by your name. I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. He says that several times. The Cyrus does not know God. And I've been around him for a lot of years. And I will aver that he is not and does not know God. He just doesn't. Calls on God's name, but he didn't know who he is. And even surnamed him. And if you go into the history of the man, uh, he doesn't know what his last name was, although he tells you he thinks he does. But you've not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded you, though you have not known me. Says it again. I girded you, gave you strength, showed you how to find, but you haven't known me. Why? That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. What was in Cyrus, the Persians' possession? The temple treasures, silver and gold, and maybe even some of the uh, cemetery remains of some of the patriarchs, possibly. Those things are hidden in southern Utah, and God is going to show this man where they are when the time is right, 
and they will be used to show the world that God is God. Now, if it was premature and they were discovered, everybody in the world's coming after them. The Mormons, the U.S. government, Portugal, Spain, the Catholic Church, everybody, the Indians, would all be coming after them. But when God puts a wall of fire around the area and a bubble over it, they can't get there, and these things are going to be brought out to show the whole world that God is God. And I do firmly believe that there's more gold and silver there than China, Russia, and India all combined have. <coughs> this is enough treasure to loosen the loins of the kings of the earth, if you will. It's enough to scare them beyond their ability to control themselves. That's what he's going to do. I believe that it also contains the uh, graves, the sarcophagus, some of the mummies, if you will, of some of the ancient leaders of Israel. Some were mummified. Uh, I have heard witness of two mummies. I know where they are. Uh, that apparently are King Arthur and Guinevere. He was the last ruling righteous king of Israel. And in history, they don't know of him. He's just a, a, fa a fantasy king. But that's coming from Europe, not from here. So I believe the, the graves are there. I've seen some maps, not showing exactly where this is, but the maps show a cemetery, and they show gold. And those are some of the maps that people have been using, thousands of people, to try to find what God says he's going to show to this man. And he's going to do it in such a way that the whole world will know that God is God. Now this is going to be a major deliverance and a major restoral and all of this gold and silver is there for the use of God's people, Jacob, the church. Not the Mormon church, not the Catholic church, the church of God. And it will be done in such a way, it says up here, that the, let the earth open in verse 8, and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the eternal, have created it. So it may not be that man ultimately finds it, but God has led this Cyrus to it, and God is going to crack the nut. I think that's what is being said here. He is going to crack it when the time comes, and it won't be cracked until that time, because it is going to be used as a major thing to show the world who God is. Now, I meant to get further than this, and there are some... Wonderful references here in these next few chapters, but I'm out of time, so let's stop there.